0: And turn your Bibles, please, to Psalm 119, to turn to verse 81. We'll be all over the psalm, but I want to read these verses uh, because our key verse is 82. And those other verses give real context to what he prays there. Psalm 119 and verse 81, and this is the word of God. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I've not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood help me. They've almost made an end of me on earth, but I've not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that we do have your word that stands forever that its promises are sure, that it's a firm foundation. Father, uh, we're so grateful today. So we ask now for your Spirit's help to grasp what it is you will comfort us with. Father, in the chaotic world around us, Uh, teach us by your Spirit, we pray. In your Son's name, amen. There are times when I don't know whether to laugh or to cry to have anger or to have pity. Uh, Living in the information overload that is the 21st century. We hear so much, we see so much, uh, we try to keep perspective, but it's not easy. This week there's been much said and shown about 9-11, and rightly so. Most of us will remember who were alive then that that day began like any other ordinary Tuesday. Then it was abruptly interrupted by the unthinkable hijacked domestic airliners being flown into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and Pennsylvania's Earth. We wept as a nation. Remember that Tuesday night as I stood in my driveway and I looked up at the nighttime sky, uh, everything seemed strangely solid. Usually there are airliners one after another passing overhead on their way to Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, but that night there was nothing. And then we have the unfolding tragedy that is Afghanistan. We have the COVID pandemic going on, debates about masks and vac- vaccines that divide the country, debates about the, pro- the Texas pro-life law. On the other hand, 70 women in uh, Bristol, England, married trees last week to protest a housing development there. I wonder how that'll work out. Anyway. Um, You know, I could go on all day about the challenges uh, of how we're to live, how we're to view life in this world in the 21st century. And the reality is we go on and on because we know so much. I mean, we know about those women. Uh, We know about pain. We know about suffering. We know about sorrow. We know about heartbreak. And so given the the hurdle we live in, our main question this morning comes to us here in verse 82. When will you comfort me? Given all that's going on in the world, when? What's the answer? Just how are we to look at the world? Where will we find comfort from God? I mean, where do we go and get the grid that we want to be the lens that we look at life through? Now we could ask the questions another way. All right, young people, you know, do you want to be wiser than all your teachers? Do you want to be, have more understanding than all the old mountain climbers that you know? Or how about all of us? Do we want to be truly happy? Do we want to be truly free? Do we want to really experience peace on a daily basis? Do we want a light that guides us through the darkness? Do we want a perspective of history, of 9 11, of Pearl Harbor, of World War II? Do we want perspective on the current events like Afghanistan and, and COVID? Do we want a world like view that gives us a perspective of pain and sorrow and joy and victory? Do we want comfort when we grieve and strength when we're weary with sorrow? Do we want sound financial advice in a very materialistic world? And spiritually speaking, do we, do we want to be pure? Do we want to be whole? Do we want to help uh, to keep from sinning? Do we want to help to keep our eyes from looking at worthless things. Do you want a path every day to a guide to immortality, assurance about eternity? Do you want hope in a changing world, comfort from how God, uh, on how to deal with living on an everyday basis? Now, if anything like that appeals to us, uh, I've got just the thing. And it's not money or bitcoins or winning lottery ticket. It's not a book of poems by Helen Steiner Rice or a a podcast of Dave Ramsey's advice. It's not a year's worth of free internet, Wi-Fi. It's not even the next generation iPhone. Now, let me give you some clues. It's convenient. We can get it in a a form that we can hold, or we can get it in electronic form. We can get one we can fit in our pocket, one that's large enough to put on the coffee table at home. We can and should use it every day. It can help us just by thinking about it. It's eternal. It's worth more than gold or silver. It's life-changing. It's perfect. It's sweeter than honey to taste it. And it's absolutely indispensable. Everybody should have one, and I suspect everybody here has more than one. And we should want everybody in the world to have one. So what is it? Well, it's a book, but it's not an ordinary book. It's a book written starting some 3,500 years ago, completed in the first century A.D. It's a book we call the Bible. It's the Word of God. And it is, make no mistake, the most important book ever. As Roosevelt said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. And that's a lot. The psalm before us this morning celebrates this book. Psalm 119 is an elaborate poem uh, with one main subject, the Word of God. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's a literary masterpiece. There are 22 stanzas in the poem, each of them uh, representing one of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are eight verses in each section, and each section of that verse begins with that particular verse from the al- letter from the alphabet. So it's not necessarily written in a logical order or a theological order, Uh, rather think of it as a symphony with its uh, uh, great themes and it has movements and it has ideas that are repeated throughout. And in talking about God's word, the psalmist uses a variety of synonyms, laws, statutes, precepts, judgments, uh, decrees, commands, and promises. And they all refer to the same thing. The word of God. This is God's truth that we're challenged to listen to. And it's truth that we ignore at our own peril. And our question this morning is in verse 82, strikes home because of the psalmist's plight in the following verses that, that, that we read. And it's not unlike our plight today. So here it is. My eyes long for your promise, I ask, when will you comfort me? In one sense, the answer is given to the question before it's asked. In the midst of turmoil, what the psalmist longs for is the fulfillment of God's promises. Uh, This particular psalm is chock full of those promises, so we're going to be jumping around, primarily look at the first eight verses, uh, but we'll be all over. We want to look at four general promises that give us comfort as we wait for God to fulfill his promises. So let's go to the text. First, the first promise, the key promise, is that of blessing in a chaotic world. Verse 1 Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. In a troubled, chaotic world, God promises his blessing. To those who walk by his word because they're seeking him with all their hearts. The word blessing carries with it the sense of happiness. Uh, Think of joyful contentment perhaps. And it really comes down to what is it that we want out of life? I mean, if our goal in life is to be a gracious host, then I would suggest you read Southern Living. If you want to be a technology guru, then you might want to read Wired Uh, If you want to be cutting edge in business, check out Inc. or or Fast Company. If our goal is to have great appearance, then maybe Vogue or GQ is the magazine for you. If our goal is to be a great cook, maybe it's taste of home. But if our goal is to be blessed by God, then friends, we need to read this book. What we read shapes what we are. It shapes who we are. Make no mistake about it. And friends, if the Bible is the last thing we read, after the newspaper, magazine, internet, novels, how-to books, then the Bible will be what shapes us the least. And we'll be robbed of the great blessing God has for us. And we ourselves will be the robbers. You know, there are all sorts of how-to books out there. There's even a book on how to read a book. Uh, But reading and living this book brings blessing to our lives. Why is it? Well, it's really because it's rooted in God's love for us. Verse 84, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. So what's our attitude towards this book? Verse 47, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I mean, do we love this book? Perhaps we say yes because of what it teaches about God and the gospel. But do we love the challenges that he gives us of how to live? Or do we find it sometimes to be obtrusive to get in the way of how I want to live? See, this book is from someone who loves us and, and cares for us. He wants the best for us. Several years ago, John Cass, a Chicago Tribune a writer, wrote about a waiter named Bush who works at a tavern in Chicago And Bush decided to write a letter to the king of his homeland. That would be King Mohammed VI of Morocco. And um, he's a very popular king because of how he interacts with his subjects in public. He's freed a number of political dissidents. Uh, He helps the poor, he helps the disabled. And so when Bush wrote him from Chicago, King Mohammed VI, true to his nature, wrote back. And Bush said, look at these letters. These are letters from the king. If I meet him, I'll be so happy. Then John Cass muses. How many guys serving burgers in Chicago have correspondence going on with a royal monarch? The columnist then talked to Morocco's deputy council general in Chicago, and he said it's not unusual for the king to write personal letters to his subjects Uh, who live abroad it happens a lot he said he loves his subjects so if you think king muhammad vi loves his subjects maybe he does how about jesus the king of kings and how about the letters he's written to us his word see this book's for everybody I mean, if you love to read war stories, they're here. If you love to read family drama, it's here. Adventure stories, they're here. Romance, history, poetry, biographies, they're here. If we love reading about the greatest being in the universe, that's here. If we want to know how to live forever, friends, this is it. As John the Apostle said, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Christ. And that believing you might have life through his name. If we truly want hope, it's here. Most of all, if we love truth, it's here. Which brings us to promise two, and that is the practice of God's word. Look at verse three. Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Here's the premise, we're to practice the Word of God, we're to live the Word of God, we're to obey what God says. We receive comfort from God when we practice God's Word. Uh, We often say that the world's greatest need is a revived church, and it is. But inseparable from that is the world's need to see the Christian faith practiced, As parents, we know we've got to teach our children. We've got to teach them to obey. Why is that? Well, because we love them, and theoretically, we know what's best for them. Uh, We teach them not to touch a hot stove. Why? Because if they touch it, what might happen? They'll get burnt. When we teach them to drive, we, we caution them. We teach them not to speed because we know if they do, something will go wrong. So why do we teach them such things? Because we know dangers that they may be unaware of. So when we're with them, we can remind them, don't touch the stovetop. Do not drive recklessly. In hope that they'll develop habits or practices that will keep them from burning themselves or breaking the law or worse. Understand what sin is. Sin is not taking God at his word that God has the best way for us to live. Sin is not believing the promises of God. God's best for Adam and Eve was to eat from any tree in the garden they wanted except for one. God wanted Adam and Eve to trust him that he had their best interest at heart. So he said, do not eat from that particular tree. Adam and Eve did not trust God that his way, his promise was the best way. And the result is we were plunged into sin. Not trusting God, that God has the best way for us to live, what us people to gambling, stealing, divorce, parental sex, adultery, dishonoring parents, cheating on taxes, cheating on a test. The list could go on. People gamble to get what they are not willing to work for. People steal because they're not satisfied with what God's given them. What God's provided for them. People involve themselves in premarital sex because they do not believe that God's best for the sexual relationship is within the marriage covenant. People commit adultery or get divorces because they're not satisfied with the spouse that God's given them. So how do we guard our behavior, our practice? Well, it's this book down in verse 11. We read, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's one of the key that we have in Scripture for not sinning. The psalmist talks about the practice of taking the Word of God that we have written on the pages of this book and taking them uh, and storing them internally in our hearts. Whereas the Old Testament law was written on stone tablets and also on little scrolls that they would put in little leather pouches and they would tie them to their foreheads at times or to their wrists, little carrying cases, the idea of the new covenant is what? The word of God engraved on our hearts. God's word on the inside to shape the way we think. So the, various, uh, the writer says, I've stored. Some translations say, I have, I've hidden. Others have "treasure." Now, why do they have that? Well, this is a Hebrew word that's used over 30 times in the Old Testament. And it usually means hide or store. So what do you hide or store? What's hidden is usually something valuable. Uh, the word came to mean something of a treasure that you would hide because in those days there weren't any banks. If you had something valuable and you wanted to keep it safe, you had to hide it. So we know that when the psalmist says, I've stored your word in my heart, it's not just there for safekeeping. It's there as a treasure. It's there as a resource that's used to keep us from sinning. The challenge this verse gives us is to memorize what the Bible says, to take that word and make it part of our lives. All of us need to be memorizing the Bible, and certainly it's easier for the children here to do that for us adults. Uh, But just because it's more difficult does not mean we should not uh, do it. See, verse 105 says what? Your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We've been going to Emerald North Carolina for vacation uh, annually for some 40 years. And I used to keep the map open at my side to give me guidance, uh, always uh, trying to find the fastest way to shave maybe two or three minutes off an eight-hour trip. Uh, but now I've studied it. I've memorized it. I know which way to go. And I still keep a map in the car, all right? Yes, a paper map. Um, And, yes, uh, I know I've still got my phone to guide me. And, yes, by the way, I know you can listen to music and get directions at the same time. All right? I do know that. It's just complicated. All right? But I can enjoy the scenery. I can enjoy the conversation because I know where I'm going. You know, I have no influence over the decision made by world leaders, not even around. None of them take my phone calls. None of them read my letters. But I do have the privilege to impact world history by practicing what the Bible says on a daily basis. Verse 32 says, I run in the way of your commandments, for you have set my heart free. What's he saying? Memorizing the word of God and then living by it. That doesn't bind us it does not restrict us it sets us free to enjoy life to the fullest and to make an impact on world history which brings us to the third promise and that is desire go to verse 88 for this one in your steadfast love give me life that i may keep the testimonies of your mouth The psalmist expresses a desire here to do what God's Word says and he roots that plea in God's love, His steadfast love, His covenant love. Friends, nobody can make us read the Bible. Satan does not want us to read the Bible. In fact, Satan wants to destroy us and there's a connection there. What we need is the desire. What should drive us is the desire to know God and to live in such a way that God's glorified. So we have to ask ourselves, what's our desire? If it's it's popularity, we're not going to spend much time reading this book. If it's to be wealthy, go get the Wall Street Journal. But if our desire is to please God, then the theme of this psalm is clear. Commit ourselves to desire the Word of God so we can do what God says. Our desire should be that this book is what guides us in every aspect of our lives. It's 1902. Germany, Great Britain, and Italy are posing a threat to Venezuela. Our nation's Monroe Doctrine stands against any European military involvement in the Western Hemisphere. President Roosevelt summons his key military advisors to come to the White House. When they enter the Oval Office, the president's furiously poring over a, a well-worn Bible and he's gotten to, a, a big concordance with him. And there's a long and uncomfortable silence during which the president never acknowledges the presence of these generals. And finally, one of the generals clears his throat and says, you asked for us. And without looking up, the president responds, well, don't just stand there, I need help. I cannot remember why I hold to the Monroe Doctrine. I know it has got to be in here somewhere. Still not quite sure what he wants. They each move towards his desk, and he hands each one of them a Bible, and he says, get to work, men. I cannot act without warrant. I cannot pronounce policy without precedence or precept see, Roosevelt's desire was to make every action be in accordance with the Word of God. Let me just pause and say for a moment, when we fail, and we often do, we also have the comfort of God's forgiving grace. Go back and remember what we sang the opening song this morning, that second stanza. Keep that in mind. That brings us then to promise four, and that is, what's the goal that gives us comfort? What's the psalmist's goal? I will praise you with an upright heart, in verse 7, when I learn your righteous rules. You know, our our goal is not a carefree, uh, happy life. Rather, you see the sequence outlined here. Learning God's word brings a change to our hearts so that we desire to worship God and not ourselves. God's word will always point us away from himself and away from his world, and to himself, to God. God's Word tells us it is essential to remember history. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. God's works are how he's acted in history. We need to know history, to see God's hand in history, especially the cross and the resurrection. In Moses' final address to the Israelites, he reminds them in Deuteronomy 32, 47, for it's no empty word for you, but your very life. That's what this book is. Peter asked Jesus in John 6, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So this book is our life. It points us to Jesus. Every this book points us to Jesus, to what Jesus did for the cross in history to save us from our sins, to our loving Jesus, to our finding eternal life and hope in Jesus and comfort in Jesus. See, friends, the more we look at Jesus and we see him in his word, the more settled our hearts are, the more comforted they are in the world of chaos around us. Friends, our goal is to glorify God, to enjoy God. Verse 30, I've chosen the way of faithfulness, I've set your rules before me. Uh, as believers, if we try it any other way, any other way, we're doomed to failure. Our hope must be totally in Jesus. None that will not forsake us, but they will give us eternal life. So we follow the direction of Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Uh, Commit yourself to read it every day. Memorize it. Study it. Meditate on it. Get instruction on it in a a Bible study group. We get extra instruction on Sunday night, as the Puritans said, an extra opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Get involved in Sunday school. Our children need to be in Sunday school though, so they're not robbed of the great opportunity to get to know God better. So, what about us? You know, we live in a, a complicated, chaotic, sinful world where, where people and nations are in rebellion against God. That can give us much angst and discomfort. So, we remember things like 9 11, it brings tears and sorrow, it brings fears and anger. It also reminds us about the best in human beings as we remember the first responders and their sacrifice, their heroism. The brave Americans on Flight 93. 911 also produces concern for the future because it represents a clash of civilizations that goes on today. And then we have a virus like COVID reminds us of our vulnerability in a world of, of common grace medical advances. So as we think about the long, dark nights of our world, do we want comfort? I suppose we could eat some mashed potatoes or macaroni and cheese. Those are comfort foods. Uh, we could go to our phones. You know, we could get to podcast, to TikTok or Twitter or Snapchat. We could listen to Fox or CNN or the BBC. Or we could go to a book people have been turning to for some 3,500 years. Verse 81 tells us, our hope is in God's Word because it's His Word. I said 20 years ago that the skies above us seemed strangely silent, but they were not. Though no planes were flying across them, the the stars and the moon were still loudly proclaiming the Word of God, the glory of God, His might his control, his faithfulness. You see, as you looked, each constellation was just where it was supposed to be in, in the star-filled sky on a September night. God was keeping the stars on course. We need not fear. Concluded with the psalmist in Psalm 19 assures us, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day, pour forth speech, night after night, reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we began this morning by saying we stand on every promise of your word. We've sung how firm a foundation The saints of the Lord has raised, laid for us in his excellent word. We've declared that our God Almighty is sovereign still and that your word stands. So, Father, give us comfort in a chaotic world. Through your word, we pray. Father, your promises are sure, they are certain. You are carrying them out for your glory, even now. So, Father, amidst the chaos, grant us comfort. Father, to anybody here who does not have the comfort of knowing you as Savior, of being able to claim that comfort that you give, Father, show them Jesus. Show them the one of whom this whole book is about. Show them the one about the promise, and that's Jesus. And Father, draw them to his love, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.